You ready for to try this again? I suppose. Oh, are we recording? Yep. Thanks for the notice. Hey, Lindsay, we're recording. Hello and welcome to episode 25. Come on, I had to bring the same energy from the first take. I left all my energy in the first take. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Episode 25 of Dying to Know. I am your host, S. Lindsay. And this is my husband. I'm Jimmy. It's good to know that I'm not a host, though. Just throwing that out there. No, I am the only host. Uh, Okay. Hostess. 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 Of this podcast. Episode 25. Yes. Uh... It is today we are discussing five more urban legends. Okay, so you're bringing five urban legends to the table, aka creepy true stories. Yes. Okay. True-ish. True-ish. True-ish stories. Like there's some basis in reality, but the rest is yes. like kind of murky. Okay. Yes. Which you know are my favorite. Okay. But okay. Uh, I feel like there was something else that we said in the first take, but... Oh, it was, uh, they, it, it's not important. It was just us talking about that we can't believe we did this for 25 weeks, but it was really 26 weeks. Because we skipped an episode. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. Unimportant. It was me talking shit because yesterday, instead of doing your research like you were supposed <laughs> to, you were shopping on Amazon and Hot Topic. Yeah, so... So I had to do all of my homework today. Yeah. I've literally been staring at this computer for probably the last 12 hours. I've been waiting on you all day. No, you haven't. Don't what? Fuck off. You I have. You have not been waiting for me all day. That's some bullshit. That's a lot of foul language in the first I would also, two minutes. I would also just like to point out that your last episode we recorded on a Friday, the day it comes out. Oh, we go in there this early, <laughs> two minutes and 22 seconds in, we're going there. We recorded on Friday because I was sick because someone else in this household got me sick. You still had a whole week. Actually, you had two weeks to do your homework. Okay, so the week before, you know, I don't I do not do it. You don't excuses, do it on... Excuses, Jimmy. Oh, I'm sorry. The week of, I was taking care of you. For three days. I was better by Wednesday. Yeah, and I was not <laughs> by Wednesday. <laughs> just get on with your damn ghost stories. You just don't like it because I'm right. Yeah, okay. Okay, so the first story we have the dog boy. Bum, bum, bum. Is this like the thing from Full Metal Alchemist? No, not like that. No. Oh, okay. I mean, it's fucked up, but but not not. that's a different level of fucked up. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> Edward. Okay. Margie. Did he just growl? Yeah, he's wrapped in a blanket, rolling on the floor plane. Sorry, I know you hate it when I acknowledge our animals. It's just... No, Margie Lytle still remembers the evening 65 years ago when she was seven, when she was chased by the dog boy. What's her name? Margie Lytle. And this happened when she was seven. Yes. Okay. What? What? Nothing. I'm just curious. I feel like you're judging already. 
Oh. And I'm one full sentence in. Go. Jesus. <laughs> she had been out for a walk with her mother, Mary, and a group of neighborhood children during the early fall months between 7 and 8 at night. Okay. So setting the scene. Okay. Uh, they came upon a house that Mary, the mother, uh, pointed out and said, I think that's where the dog boy lives. Referring to, uh, which referred to a cryptid type creature that had become a local legend, mainly due to the unexplained horrific howls that several older kids had reported having heard. Okay. Okay. Mary mentioned that she couldn't remember ever knowing who had lived in the house, even though they were only three miles from Margie and Mary's home. And it was a small community where pretty much everyone knew everyone. Okay. Okay. Uh, the group began to walk faster and crossed the road, moving away from the darkened house. Suddenly, they heard a howl and a screech behind them, and Mary turned to look and then said, run. Margie who, uh, was towards the back of the group and heard the creature gain ground to her and grab her left hand. Okay. What? Nothing. Oh. Uh, though it was getting dark, she remembers looking back and seeing that it had a lot of hair and it stood on its hind legs as she struggled to break its hold. Her mother grabbed her right hand and yanked her free, dragging her away. Margie noticed the creature return to the house as she ran off with her mother to catch up with the rest of the kids. Margie escaped unharmed and recalled later that one of the creature's front arms appeared to have been deformed and its fur or hair had been dark brown or black. While down on all fours, it had reached her hip. She described that its growl had ended with a high pitch, like a scream. Uh, she later learned that none of the other kids had seen anything, only running because Mary had told them to do so, and few believed her story about the creature. Though she did take comfort knowing that there were stories like hers uh, out there of other people encountering the dog boy, and she speculated that it may still be in the area as some of the stories still persist today. Okay. Okay. Now this is where reality comes in. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> While this story seems to be just that, a story, uh, the origins of dog boy actually have a basis in reality with the real story of Gerald, uh, I also put in parentheses Jarell because most places spelled it Gerald, but one article that actually had a link to his tombstone, or his supposed tombstone, uh, said Jarell, like J A R R E L L okay. instead of G E R A L D. Okay. But I'm gonna call him Gerald because that's what most of the other most articles of them. did. Uh, so the real story of Gerald Floyd Bettis. Uh, unfortunately, the real story doesn't involve any cryptid creatures, sadly, but it is actually a bit darker than the legend itself. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. uh, so Floyd and Aline Bettis were childless for many years before they had their son, Gerald. Gerald was a difficult child from early on, according to those who were close to the family. His parents were uh, nice people, but Gerald himself was vicious and cruel. He had a habit of, quote, collecting dogs, which he would bring home constantly, uh, earning him the nickname Dog Boy. Okay. He would catch them and other stray animals and torture them. 
Oh, well, I hope this dude gets a horrible death. Neighbors could hear them howling at all times of the day. As he got older, he insisted that his parents build an addition to their house so that he could keep more of the animals. I hope the dad... Never mind. Let's just say I hope dad killed him. As a teenager, Gerald would become physically abusive towards his father, one time even throwing him through a second-floor window. Although his father was in his 70s at the time, he managed to hold on to the window ledge until local police arrived to help him down. That's impressive. Yeah. When he became an adult and they became more feeble, he kept his parents virtually imprisoned in the upstairs part of their house. He would feed them, but only when he decided it was time for them to eat. He was also a very large man, towering over nearly everyone at six foot four and weighing roughly 300 pounds. Big boy. Yeah. One day, police were called to collect his father's body. Floyd was found at the base of the home staircase with his neck broken. His death was ruled an accident because Gerald said his father had been ill recently, which made him weak, and he had lost his footing on the stairs and fallen. He threw his dad down the stairs. It was heavily speculated, though, that Gerald had pushed his father down the stairs and killed him. A few years after Floyd died, Aline fell and broke her hip, requiring a trip to the hospital. A nurse witnessed Gerald in his mother's hospital room slapping her around and telling her that if she told anyone what he did, he would have her arrested. It, But she didn't know what, like... he That he was referring to. Yeah. Uh, not long after this incident was witnessed, Aline was placed in adult protective services and removed from Gerald's, home, Gerald's care permanently. Uh, Gerald then built a sunroom on the back of the house, which he grew and sold marijuana out of. Okay. He also continued keeping dogs, and neighbors said that they would see him walking through his home at night, and his eyes appeared to glow as he passed windows. He let his hair grow long and messy, which perpetuated his dog boy nickname. Neighborhood kids often joked that he was turning into a dog. Uh, authorities eventually caught on to his drug business, and he was arrested for this and for his mother's testimony of her abuse at his hands. Gerald was imprisoned and died in prison of a drug overdose at the age of 34. So start to finish, a real piece of shit. Yes. Okay. Uh, from here is where the legend kind of takes hold. People, uh, a lot of people insisted that Gerald didn't actually die in prison, even though there was a legitimate death certificate for him, uh, but that he had actually escaped to return to his old home, continuing to collect and keep dogs and other stray and wild animals, and eventually becoming one himself, and using his creepy looks and mannerisms to scare others away. Hmm. That was story one. Yeah, I mean, so going back to the original, like, story, you know me, I'm going to poke holes and shit. So she thinks this thing came at her on all fours, caught up for them when it was on a full run. He was a big boy. There's no way he's moving that fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of rough. Like, six four, three hundred pounds. That's a big man. I mean, granted, if, if he's on the run... And he's living in this abandoned house. He's probably not eating, you know? Yeah, but still, like, on all fours. Like, have you ever tried to run on all fours? <laughs> Shit is terrible. There are some people that can run really fast on all fours. Have you ever seen horse girls? That's weird. <laughs> uh, but, no. 
the whole thing's fucked up. Like, the true story behind it. I mean, we've talked about it before. I like animals more than I like people. Dogs, we don't deserve dogs. Like, dogs are some of the best, like, things on this planet. Yeah. Like, you had, it was sold at fucking, he was torturing dogs. I wanted him to die. Oh, yeah. He, immediately, I was ready for him to die. His father should have thrown him down the stairs. (laughs) I, I think it's one of those things where, like, his parents were older when they had him. So they probably didn't. And he was, he was, the impression you get is that they couldn't have kids or thought that they couldn't have kids. And then all of a sudden they have a kid and they don't want to, you know, ruin him by punishing him too much or you know they're hoping that him fucking torturing animals is a phase or who the fuck a knows a couple solid backhands early on would have corrected a lot of things that's all we're, i'm saying we're also i mean i mean it's no real excuse but we're also talking about like the 60s a couple solid backhands would have <laughs> fixed a lot of things <laughs> just saying yeah i blame mommy and daddy all right so, story number two. Numero dos. You, you've you probably heard of this one. I've heard of it before a few okay. times. But, uh, so. The Velisca Axe Murder House. I don't know. Uh, the Moore family consisted of parents Josiah and Sarah and their four children, Herman, uh, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul. Were their okay. kids. Okay. So four kids? Yes. I know if Mary Catherine no, was yeah, it's, one it's, kid or if it was Mary Catherine. I, I didn't write it down here, but I wrote it down later that she goes by Mary Catherine. Okay. Uh, the Moors were a well-off family and were well-known and well-liked in their community. On June 9th, 1912, daughter Mary, Mary Catherine, invited her two friends, Ina and Lena Stillinger, to spend the night in the Moore home. That evening, the Stillinger girls and the Moore family attended their Presbyterian church for a children's day program, which Sarah had coordinated, the mom. Okay. Uh, When the program ended around 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger girls walked back to the house, arriving between 9.45 and 10. Okay. I think I do know this one. At 7 a.m. the next day, uh, June 10th, Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbor, became concerned after she noticed the Moore family hadn't come out to do their morning chores like usual. She knocked on their front door, and when no one answered, she tried to open the door but found it was locked. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out of their coop and called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Ross also received no response when he knocked on the door and tried to shout for their attention. He unlocked the door with his copy of their house key while Mary waited on the porch. Ross went into the house's parlor and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. He immediately told Mary to call Henry Horton, who was Velisca's primary peace officer. Okay. It's uh, like the town sheriff. Yes. Uh, he arrived shortly after being called. Horton proceeded to search the rest of the house and found that the entire Moore family and the Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon, an axe that belonged to Josiah, was found in the guest bedroom where Ina and Lena had been found. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Investigators found two spent cigarettes in the attic, which suggested that the killer or killers uh, had patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger girls were asleep. 
They had begun in the master bedroom, where Josiah and Sarah were sleeping. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been so badly mangled that his eyes were missing. So straight up, like, his eyes were obliterated. Uh, They used the blade of the axe on Josiah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. They proceeded from the master bedroom into the children's rooms and bludgeoned Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul in the head in the same fashion as their parents. There was evidence that they had then returned to the master bedroom to inflict more damage on Josiah and Sarah and had knocked over a shoe that had been filling with blood dripping off of the bed. Finally, they moved downstairs to the guest bedroom and killed Ina and Lena. Investigators believed that that all of the victims except for Lena had been asleep when they were murdered. It's thought that she was awake and had tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed with a defensive wound on one of her arms. Lena's nightgown was also pushed up to her waist and she was wearing and she wasn't wearing any undergarments, uh, leading law enforcement to speculate the killers the killer or killers had sexually molested her or had attempted to to do so either before or after her death. Uh, over time, many suspects were suggested and brought forth. Uh, one was a traveling minister who had who many thought to be kind of peculiar. Uh, he had a history of mental illness and a history of trying to exploit young women and girls. Uh, he ended up being tried twice for the murders. One, uh, sorry, the first trial ended with a hung jury, and the second ended with him being acquitted. Okay. Uh, there was also a serial killer discovered to have been in the area the night of the murders with a similar, like, modus operandi. Like, he, he was known for using an axe. Uh Sorry, so similar MO to the way the Moors were killed, but there was no actual hard evidence linking him to the crime. Uh, and we're also talking about 1912, where they don't have DNA testing yeah. yet, so it's not like they can That's pull like, something like off the cigarettes. You were talking about, like, oh, you know, it was like a five hour window. Now we're getting down to, like, we can be, like, within a 15 minute window yeah. today, you know? Exactly. Uh, at one point, even Ross Moore, Josiah's brother, was suspected as he often fought with Josiah and exclaimed that he would kill him, but he actually had a solid alibi for the night of the murders. There were quite a few more, but to this day, the murders remain unsolved. Okay, yeah, once you started, I do realize I had heard this one, because the thought is that they were upstairs, killed everyone. Mm-hmm. Because, like, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because, like, the, the going conspiracy or going theory is that they were in the house when the family got home. Yes. And they went up to the attic. Mm-hmm. They came out of the attic, killed everybody upstairs, then went back to the parents' room. Yeah. The one I remember is that the the girl they found awake heard something upstairs and went to go see. They mm-hmm. saw her. She ran back down, which led them downstairs because they didn't even know those girls were there. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because it would seem weird for them to just randomly go downstairs and yeah, because and that would explain girls. why she was a lot awake. But the only thing is, is why wouldn't have her sister have woken up if she like saw this and screamed and ran downstairs? Unless she didn't scream. I was gonna say not. She may not have necessarily screamed. You know, in in the heat of the moment, we assume that people will scream, but sometimes that when that fear takes over and you know that your life is legitimately in danger, all your brain does is tell you to get the fuck out. 
Yeah, you know what I mean. There's there's no time to spend energy screaming. So, all right. Uh, this one I had also heard of before. So that was number two. That was that was number two. All straight fact. Like that wasn't like there was no legend or anything like that. Okay, just wanted to make sure and clarify. But I, it's it's a very creepy idea that like this whole family was murdered in this kind of small-ish community where everybody knows them and oh yeah it was definitely unsolved. someone that they knew yeah all right and the fact the fucker i like the brother makes sense because he had a key yeah but i mean well i was talking 1912 people probably left their house unlocked exactly you know okay so number three the mercy brown vampire incident so I've heard of this one a few times before. You've probably heard of it too. See a lot of these, I don't know the names of, but the second oh, yeah. you start talking about them, I like recognize clicks. the name right away. But but yeah, you'll probably sorry hiccup. You'll probably recognize it once I start reading it. All right, in Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered from a rash of tuberculosis infections in the eight- late 1800s. At the time, the disease was called consumption and was devastating to the human body and very much feared by the people of the time. It was called consumption because it could cause rapid and drastic weight loss, seeming to consume the infected from the inside. Other symptoms included chronic cough, mucus with blood, mm-hmm. uh, fever, night sweats, and when left untreated, it typically killed about half of the people that were infected by it. So, just brief oh, yeah, history shit was rough. on tuberculosis there. The mother, Mary Eliza, was the first to die of the disease, followed quickly in 1886 by the couple's eldest daughter, Mary Olive. A few years later, in the winter of 1891, their second-born daughter, Mercy, fell ill and passed away from it as well. Uh, and to explain like the, the time difference there, uh, tuberculosis can go years. Oh, yeah without being detected it it can you can be asymptomatic for a very long time before it actually kicks in and kills you Mm -hmm. uh so and then depending on the person it could kill you very quickly or it could kill you over a long period of time exactly uh at the time when she passed away the ground was too frozen to dig a proper grave so mercy's body was kept in an above ground crypt until the warmer months uh two months after her death George and Mary's youngest child, their son Edwin, became ill with consumption, and neighbors speculated that one of the dead family members had to be a vampire, although at the time that wasn't the term that they called it. Uh, And it had to be what was causing Edwin's illness. The idea fell in line with folklore of that century, which implied that multiple deaths in one family was due to undead activity. Because consumption was a poorly understood disease, it was also the subject of a lot of superstition. Eventually, George Brown, desperate to save his last living child, was persuaded to give permission to exhume the bodies of his deceased family members. Villagers, the local doctor, and a newspaper reporter exhumed the bodies on March 17, 1892. The bodies of George's wife, Mary, and their daughter, Mary Olive, both of whom had been dead for six years by then, exhibited the expected level of decomposition, so they were ruled out as the cause. However, the corpse of Mercy... Mercy... I keep wanting to say Marcy. (laughs) (laughs) Mercy showed almost no signs of any decomposition, and still had liquid blood in her heart. 
This was taken as a clear sign that she was the undead and the reason for Edwin's sickness. The townspeople thought that Mercy must have sucked the life from her mother and sisters in the years before and then come back from the dead to continue feeding on Edwin. How long had she been dead at this point? Mercy? Yeah. Two months. Okay. Uh, as the superstition dictated to correct the situation and save Edwin, Mercy's liver and heart were burned and ashes and the ashes mixed with water to create a tonic. This was then given to Edwin to drink. Oh, dude. And, and was believed that it would resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead Mercy. Edwin died two months later. Like He, he died anyway. Uh, what remained of Mercy's desecrated body was buried alongside her mother and sister, and eventually Edwin in the cemetery of the Baptist Church in Exeter. There's no record of what happened to George, the father, after all of this, but it's likely that he either also died of consumption himself, eventually, uh, or he lived out the rest of his days alone after basically watching his entire family die slowly in front of his eyes. Uh, as for Mercy's body lacking decomposition after two months, this was most likely due to her body being stored in freezer-like conditions in yeah. an above-ground crypt following her death during the winter months in Rhode Island. Yeah, she, they basically made her a fucking human meatsicle yeah. and then put her in the ground like, why didn't she decompose? Exactly. She was essentially, like, like you uh, said... She, she, she was never in... went into the ground, like... Oh, I it thought wasn't, it wasn't until after they like burned her heart and her liver that they put her in the ground. That, that gotcha. They put her in the ground a few months later. Man, people are stupid. Yeah. And like, it's crazy. Like looking at like, I know you said it wasn't vampire was what they called it, but like. <laughs> Only because that term hadn't been coined for that. But that's what's yet. crazy, like, right? Like, like where did the, <laughs> as was believed at the time, let's burn her heart and her liver, mix that shit in some Kool-Aid, and force-feed it to somebody, <laughs> because that's healthy. Yeah. And that'll go well. Mm-hmm. Like, man, people are dumb. Yeah. It it just, like... And I get it. It's a di- It was a different time and all that shit, but, like... As I wrote here, he probably didn't die from consuming his sister's ashes, but they definitely didn't help. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's like the world's worst birds. Never mind. I can go there. You ever seen the episode of South Park where Cartman thinks Kenny's ashes are Nesquik and accidentally drinks them? That's basically what they did. Isn't that when he becomes possessed? By yeah, Kenny? it's when Kenny okay. possesses him. That's what I thought. <laughs> okay. That was number three. Number four. The death ship of the Platte River in Wyoming. Death ship, like death a, ship, like, like a death boat. Yes. Okay, I know. If, like death ship was one word. No, death. That sounds like ship. That's gonna be the name of my metal band. The death, death ship. ship. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's extremely short. Okay. On on the Platte River between Torrington and Alcova, Wyoming, a legend persists that a ship of death continues to sail upon the sometimes dangerous waters. The phantom ship will rise out of a strange mist that quickly becomes a massive rolling ball of fog that will stretch wide across the the river in the ship's wake. As it moves closer, witnesses report that its sails and masts are completely covered in frost, making the ship appear more ghostly from the whitish-blue tint of the ice formations. 
Upon its deck stands a crew, also covered in a layer of frost, huddled around a corpse lying on a canvas sheet. The legend says that the ship always foreshadows the death of someone who will die that very day. Once the ship gets close enough to the witnesses, the frosty crew will step back and the identity of the corpse is revealed as someone that the witness will know. The first sighting of this ship was reported in 1862 by a trapper named Leon Weber. When he first saw the crew step back, they revealed the body of Weber's fiance, who died later on that same day. Another sighting of the Phantom Ship was made by a cattleman named Gene Wilson in 1887 when the ship showed him the body of his wife laid out on the canvas. Again in 1903, a man named Victor Hebe, I think it's Hebe, was chopping down trees on his riverfront property when he spotted the ship nearing his side of the shore. Laid on the canvas was the body of one of his close friends. Each sighting, sorry, each case of a sighting was reported in the late fall, and in all of the cases, the person seen laying, seen laying dead on the ship died the same day as the sighting. The ship has been spotted in more recent times in various places on the river, not always in the same places, uh, and attempted photos of the ship seemingly never turn out and only show a solid gray photo or a white haze surrounded by fog. Hmm. How close are these people to these boats if they can perfectly make out a person laying on the deck? That's what I want to know. I thought that same thing. Like, do you think maybe they're, worst case scenario, they are seeing something, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, that's weird. There's this legend that someone dies. Oh, it must have been that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. This one baffles me. It does it does bring up a good point though, because like probably one of the spookiest natural like phenomenon you have is fog. Yeah. Right? Like fog is perfect for horror stories, it's perfect mm -hmm. for urban legends. Fog is naturally creepy. Yeah. Like you hate it. I do. It gives I me the creeps. Love it. I think it's so cool. <laughs> um You love fog like I love rain. Yeah. I think it's cool. Like it it <laughs> instantly eerie. makes everything super eerie, right? Yeah. Um, so again, you're talking about fog on a river, um, people's imaginations do run wild. Are they seeing something? I don't know. I'm calling bullshit on them being able to be like, this crew is huddled around person. The crew parts ways and I can perfectly see who's laying there. I kind of call bullshit on that part. It, that I don't call like, bullshit on them seeing something. I call bullshit on them being able to be like, assuming that they actually are seeing something like I, the only thing I can suspect is that when, like, the crew steps back and they, they see a person laying there, from whatever distance they're at, they're like, that person looks a lot like this person. Like, that that looks a lot like so-and-so. And then all of a sudden, so-and-so's dead. Or someone dies, and they're like, you know what? I think I saw the ghost ship earlier. That's what I'm saying. That's... And I swear, okay. whoever died is to... on the ship. I'm about to put a whole nother spin on this, right? Okay. Let's say I see the ship mm -hmm. and you die. Mm -hmm. I see the ship with you on it. Okay. Did you die? Because because you, you were on, on the, the ship? ship, or did you die because I saw you on the ship? Like if you see the ship and the crew's all held around someone and you just turn and walk the other fucking direction, does that person still die? Yeah. That's, you know, is I mean, it? That's the question. 
I mean, it's a question that will never fucking get answered. <laughs> but it, it clicked in my head. I'm like, well, what happens if they just never see the person? Does that person die? They yeah, assume? Really? I'm assuming if they do see something, which I'm calling bullshit that they didn't, uh, it's more of a, there's a crew standing around. They back away. It's like, oh, that's like a middle-aged man. And then all of a sudden you find out Johnny, your next-door neighbor, passed away. It's like, fuck, Johnny's a middle-aged man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah, I can I can definitely see where the, there's there's a lot of flaws in that logic. Yeah. Whatever. Good story. I liked <laughs> it. Spooky ships. I'm always cool with that. <laughs> Fog. Yeah. All right. So last one. The longest one. I was going to say, cause this is kind of a short podcast. <laughs> but if this is the last, the longest one. Yeah, it's the longest one. What am I at? 32 minutes. Oh. Okay. Uh, so, last one I titled, Mary Toft Gives Birth to Rabbits. Let me guess. She gives, oh. bir- she gives birth to snakes. It's the You're titles, not funny. The title self self-explanatory here. Hit me with it, though. I want to know about fucking Bambi's mom. Bambi, Bambi was a deer, wasn't it? Thumper, Thumper. was a bunny. <laughs> Damn it. I don't really care for that movie. I like a lot of Disney movies. Not a fan of Bambi. <laughs> when it starts off with a helpless animal dying, I'm not cool with it. Plus, I, Did just you ever find, see... I just find the movie kind of boring. Yeah, I don't like it. But going way off the rails here, do you ever see the picture of the cosplay convention, the, the convention with the group of cosplayers? No. It was a group of cosplayers, and it was a bunch of villains. It was like Jafar, Maleficent, Hades, all these was cosplayers. Was one the hunter that killed Ben? Yes. They're like, no. who is, they're like, who is that? I don't recognize that. <laughs> but one of the comments is, that's the dude that killed Bambi's mom. And it was a dude just dressed in can- like the orange hat with the orange jacket. Yep, it was awesome. That's, anyway, I digress. That is, that is pretty genius. I'm getting way off topic tonight. Yeah. Go okay. for it. So, Mary Toft. 24-year-old Mary Toft, who had married Joshua Toft, a journeyman, at the age of 17, and together, the couple had three healthy children. Okay. As an 18th century peasant, Mary was expected to continue working in the fields even after she became pregnant again in 1726. With kid number four. With kid number four. Okay. She complained of painful contractions early in the pregnancy and eventually had a miscarriage at the end of August that year, which made her body reject several pieces of flesh, one she described to be as big as her arm. Uh, this, scientifically, may have been the result of a number uh, of any number of abnormalities with the placenta, which would cause the embryo to stop developing and blood clots and flesh to be essentially expelled. expelled from her body it's just a natural occurrence yeah it's in essentially miscarriages. shit goes wrong and your body's flushing exactly uh, a month after this miscarriage at the end of september toft's neighbor was called to help her and watched and the woman watched toft birth several animal parts the neighbor then showed the pieces to mary's mother and her mother-in-law and toft who happened to be a midwife Anne then sent the pieces to John Howard, who was a well-known surgeon and male midwife with 30 years' experience. Initially, Howard dismissed the notion that Toft had given birth to animal parts, but the next day, despite his reservations, he went to see her. Anne showed him more pieces from the previous night's incident, and after examining Mary, he found nothing to indicate she had given birth at all and left. Mary again went into labor, appearing to give birth to several more animal parts. Howard 
sorry, when Mary went into labor again. Uh, Howard returned to continue his investigation. According to his journals of the events, over the next few days, he delivered three legs and entrail and the entrails of a tabby cat, one leg of a rabbit, and the cat's and in the cat's entrails, he found three pieces of the backbone of an eel. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. How the fuck does a male? What is he? Uh, midwife. Midwife. A mid-husband? I don't fucking know. How does he know what the backbone of an eel looks like? You're, you're going to ask yourself that with a lot of things in this. Okay, because... Just FYI. Not be me or anything. You show me the backbone of an eel or a backbone of a snake? Couldn't tell you the difference. Yeah. No, I might be like, yeah. yo, that's, that's a snake. Or a really big worm. So, uh, Mary's mother suggested... So, he, he found three legs of a cat. Yep. Right? Mary's mother suggested that the cat's legs had formed in her imagination from a cat that she was fond of that slept on the bed at night. We got some real winners. Toft seemingly became ill once more and over the next few days delivered more pieces of rabbit. As the story became more widely known, a member of King George I's court, Henry Davenant, uh, went to see for himself what was happening in November of that year. Okay? okay. So she has her miscarriage in August. So all this is happening in September, October. Yes. Leading up to Halloween. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she has her miscarriage in August, gives birth initially to the animal parts in the end of September. Okay. Uh, beginning of the beginning of November, this guy comes out to see what's actually going on. Okay. Uh, he examined the samples that Howard had collected and returned to London as a devout believer. Howard had Toft moved to Guildford, where he had his own practice, and he offered to deliver rabbits in the presence of anyone who doubted her story. In the middle of November. The British royal family were so interested in the story that they sent Nathaniel Saint Andre, Saint Andre, okay, uh, who was a Swiss surgeon to the royal household, okay, okay, and Samuel Molyneux, yep. who who was a secretary to the Prince of Wales. Okay, so essentially a surgeon to examine her and a dude to take notes on it. Okay. Uh. Apparently, they were not disappointed. <laughs> they, Such a weird way to put it, Lindsay. That's how Wikipedia put it, okay. Uh, they arrived on November 15th and were taken by John Howard to Seatoft, who, within hours, delivered a rabbit's torso. St. Andre's journals detailed his examination of the rabbit. To check if it had breathed air, he put a piece of its lung in water to see if it would float, which it did. He then performed a medical examination on Toft and concluded that the rabbits were, in fact, bred in her fallopian tubes. How the fuck they prove that? <laughs> no fucking clue. Uh, that afternoon, later that day, in the doctor's absence, Toft reportedly delivered the torso of another rabbit, uh, which the two came back and examined. They then returned again later that evening to find Toft having violent con violent contractions. 
couldn't say the word contraction. I thought you were going to say violent constipation. I swear <laughs> to God, I thought you were going to say that. This whole time, she was just pooping out rabbits. That's what I thought you were going to say. No. Uh, so, she's having violent contractions. Okay. After another medical examination, St. Andre delivered some rabbit skin, which was followed a few minutes later by a rabbit's head. Both the surgeon and the secretary inspected the pieces of flesh and noted that some resembled the body parts of a cat. Fascinated, the king himself sent his personal head surgeon, uh, hell of a name here, Syriacus Ehlers? Ehlers? I think it's Ehlers. That's a name of power. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he sent his personal head surgeon to Guilford. Uh, he arrived on November 20th, okay, so end of November there, and found Toft exhibiting no signs of pregnancy. He suspected the entire affair was a hoax and noted that he observed that he observed that Toft had seemed to press her knees and thighs together as if to prevent something from, quote, dropping down. He also felt Howard's behavior was just as suspicious as the man-midwife, which is what he's referred to multiple times, man-midwife, would not let him help to deliver the rabbits, although other witnesses reported that Allers had no experience with midwivery and an earlier attempt had put Toft through considerable pain. So they tried to let him help and he fucking hurt her. And then they wouldn't let him help anymore. And he's just like, well, that's super suspicious. Okay. Uh, still convinced the whole thing was a hoax. He lied, telling those involved that he believed Toff's story before making an excuse to leave and returning to London, taking samples of the rabbits with him. Uh, upon closer study, he found evidence of the rabbits having been cut up with a man-made instrument and noted pieces of straw and grain in their droppings that had been found within the torsos. Okay. Okay. Uh, Allers then wrote his findings to the king and, quote, several other persons of note and distinction. So So he basically thinks that... He's basically trying to blow the whistle on this whole thing. Okay. Uh, Howard... John Howard, the original doctor, wrote to Allers the day after he had left, asking for his specimens to be returned. Howard began to worry about Allers' suspicions uh, two days after writing the letter to Allers and after receiving no reply. So he called St. Andre and one of his colleagues back to Guilford, because they had all scattered. left. Yeah. Uh, when they arrived, Howard informed them that Toff had given birth uh, to two more rabbits. And uh, she had also delivered several portions of what he presumed to be placenta, but then she became quite ill, suffering from a constant pain in the right side of her abdomen. Okay. Hmm, surprise, surprise, you have abdominal pain from birthing things that human women don't typically birth. In a preemptive move against Allers, St. Andre collected written accounts from several witnesses, which effectively cast doubt on Allers' honesty. St. Andre then went before the king and gave an anatomical demonstration to support Toth's story. He vouched that neither he nor Molyneux, the, the secretary that had come with him, suspected any fraudulent activity on Mary Toth's part. 
St. Andre was ordered by the king to travel back to Guildford and to bring Toth to London so that further investigations could be carried out. Uh, he was accompanied by a man called a man named Richard Manningham, who was a well-known knighted obstetrician. Oh, so he's the real fucking deal. Yes. Uh, and an obstetrician essentially has a specialty in surgery involving yeah. pregnancy and childbirth and anything postpartum, too. Uh, so that guy went and he brought his son. Uh, they then examined Toft and found the right side of her abdomen was slightly enlarged. Manningham also delivered what he initially thought was a hog's bladder, but became suspicious as it smelled uh, smelled of urine. Okay, so he's basically okay. like, how did this hog's bladder get into you and smell of urine? Well, yeah, it shouldn't smell like urine. Because, exactly, yeah. if it's just a bladder. Uh, St. Andre and Howard disagreed with his identification. Fucking shocker. <laughs> uh, but no matter what they saw, those involved agreed to remain silent about everything until they returned to London and a thorough investigation was done. Once in London, Toft was lodged in a local bathhouse, a.k.a. a brothel. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so under St. And I, I suspect they kept her in a brothel, one, because she's... A, she's considered she's a, peasant. a peasant. Yeah, they're not going to keep her in the royal household. No, and make and it what, seem like they what believe this? what this is seventeen twenties. They probably think she's the fucking devil too. That's fair enough. Like, yeah, I'm surprised she lived this long. If so many people believed her, because like that's some next yeah. level. You're gonna give birth to the Antichrist shit. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, under Saint Andre's strict control, Toft was studied by numerous respected physicians and surgeons, including a man named John Mowbray. Mowbray? Mowbray. I don't know. Uh, But he proposed that women with, that women who were pregnant could be influenced by what the mother dreamt or saw, and warned pregnant women not to become too close to household pets, or else their children would be born resembling those pets. (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe this shit. That's some 1700s logic. God damn. Uh, he was very happy to attend to Loft uh, because obviously her case proved his theories. Uh, but under constant supervision, Toft went into labor several times, but surprise, surprise, was unable to produce any more specimens. Yeah, because they... Never mind. I didn't go there. The hoax was finally uncovered on December 4th. Okay. Okay, so this did not last that long. No, it went on this for, hoax from, for about was three months. two and a half, three months. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when Thomas Onslow, a baron, had begun an investigation of his own and discovered that Mary's husband, Joshua, had been buying young rabbits. This, that same day, a man named Thomas Howard. Is, no relation. Wait, hold on, what, hold on. What? Mary's the mother in law, right? Mary is the woman. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Mary is the woman giving birth to rabbits. Okay, okay. Uh, Her mother-in-law was Anne. Okay. I don't know why I thought her name was Mary Anne. No. Okay. It's mother's... Okay. Yes. Uh, So, her husband is found out to have been buying young rabbits. Um, That same day, a man named Thomas Howard, a delivery man at the the bathhouse where Toft was lodged, confessed to a justice of the peace that he had been bribed by Mary Toft, Toft, 
Margaret's sister-in-law, Margaret. Okay, so her husband's sister. Yes. To sneak a rabbit into Toff's bedchamber. When arrested and questioned, Mary denied the accusation. The accusation. While Margaret, under harsher interrogation, claimed that she had obtained the rabbit for eating purposes only. Uh, Mary insisted that she had sent for the rabbit to eat, but changed her mind and asked her sister to give it to the delivery man to take away and to pay him a bribe so people wouldn't think she was faking everything. Yeah, it's fucking believable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Manningham, the knighted obstetrician, examined Toft once again and uh, sorry, once again after this, and thought something remained in the cavity of her uterus. He persuaded the justice of the peace to release Toft and allow her to return to the bathhouse. There, she was questioned on a few more occasions over several hours each time. And after several more days of questions, Manningham threatened to perform a painful surgery on Toft to see what was causing the rabbits to form in her body. Finally, on December 7th, Toft finally confessed. I said finally twice there. But you're, so, December you're, 7th. You're fine. It's finally, because this story's fucking batshit insane. <laughs> Toft confessed. She said that following her miscarriage in August, while her cervix still allowed access, because after you miscarry or give birth, your cervix kind of stays open. She just... Stuffing it like a fucking holiday turkey. Uh Uh-huh. A friend of hers had inserted the claws and body of a cat and the head of a rabbit into her womb. She confessed they had also... Oh, I I left that part out, didn't I? Did I? What are we talking about? I did. Damn it. Uh... So at the very beginning, I accidentally cut a part out that I didn't mean to. Um, at the very beginning, the whole reason she starts giving births to rabbits is that she was working in the field while pregnant. And at one point, a rabbit came up and like startled her. And then her and some of the other girls in the field like chased the rabbit away. So she thought it was like the rabbits getting revenge. And then she, no, after that she became like obsessed with rabbits. And then she got sick and had the miscarriage. And then all of a sudden she's okay. having babies. She's having rabbit babies. So, <laughs> yeah, that that was that was her explanation. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, she confessed that they had also invented the story of her seeing the rabbit in the field and becoming obsessed with it. Okay. Surprise, surprise. It was a bold-faced lie. <laughs> uh, she, I actually would have believed that one. Like, Yeah. Whatever. She she then admitted that for the following births, animal parts had just been inserted into her vagina. During these confessions, and over the course of several other confessions, she blamed the entire affair on a range of other participants, from her mother-in-law to John Howard. Uh, she also claimed that tr- that a traveling gypsy woman told her how to insert the rabbits into her body and how such a scheme <laughs> would ensure that she would never want for anything as long as she lived. That's because where is this taking place? What Europe. Do you mean, yeah. That's because it's fucking 1700s in Europe. Anytime anything went bad, the gypsies. It was like <laughs> they were the scapegoat. 
But yeah, this this woman basically told her like it'll make you rich if you shove rabbits up your vagina and then give birth to them miraculously. All right, I'm gonna say. Ah, uh. uh, is there more? Oh yeah, not not too much more. It's mostly the aftermath. Oh, I I have so many things to say. <laughs> All right, so on January seventh, nineteen twenty-seven. Okay, so about six months after the whole yep. ordeal. Uh, Mary. I swear Toft, God, you say she gives birth to another fucking rabbit. <laughs> no, Mary Toft was accused of quote being an abominable cheat and imposter in pretending to be delivered of several monstrous births. Uh, she was held at I'm gonna call it Tot Hill. Okay. That's one word though. I okay. don't know if it's Tothal. That's fine. Just Tot Hill, Tothal. Fuck it. Uh, Tot Hill Fields Bridewell Prison, where crowds gathered for months after her confession, hoping to catch a glimpse of the now infamous Mary Toft. By this time, she had actually become very ill and was kept indoors most of the time. So you know, she got sick after shoving animal parts into her body. <sighs> she was ultimately discharged in April of 1720 in April of 1727, so just 3 months later, as it was unclear as to what she should really be charged with. <laughs> That's a good fucking point. Her family made no money from the hoax, you know, opposing what the gypsy woman told her. <laughs> I'm telling you now, there was no gypsy woman. It was, I got in trouble. Who can I blame? Yeah. The fucking gypsies. Uh, so after that, she returned quietly to her home in Surrey, which is where she was from originally. Uh, in February 1728, so a year later, she gave birth to another daughter, uh, which the local parish registered as her, quote, first child after her pretended rabbit breeding. <laughs> So they straight up called her out on it, like, this is your first kid after pretending to have rabbits. Uh, little is known about her later life, uh, though she briefly reappeared in the spotlight in 1740 when she was imprisoned for receiving stolen goods. But after that, the last record was that she died in 1763, and her obituary in London newspapers actually ran alongside those of the aristocrats. Hmm. Huh. Uh, John Howard appeared at the bench in January of 1727 with Toft when she was accused of yeah. being an abominable cheat and whatnot, uh, where he was fined 800 pounds, which today in American dollars is approximately $157,000. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he then returned to Guilford and continued his practice. The you fact know. that they just let him keep going kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Following the hoax, the medical profession's gullibility became the target target of a great deal of public mockery. Good. He's a fucking idiot. Sorry. All, doctors in general. Like, just because uh, so many of them had believed her, uh, it actually led a lot of doctors who had absolutely nothing to do with the case to write, like, like, uh, I don't know, like... To release statements, basically, oh, okay. saying that they never believed her in the first place. Because gotcha. at that point, all doctors were being criticized for what they would believe in. Yeah. 
Uh, so the timing of Toff's confession was actually especially awkward for St. Andre, who the day before she confessed had published his 40-page pamphlet titled A Short Narrative of an Extraordinary Delivery of Rabbits. In this pamphlet, he staked his reputation on the legitimacy of Toff's situation. <laughs> That's great. On December 9th, so five days after she confessed, he recanted his views. <laughs> Gee, I f- it, I'm surprised it took five days. Yeah. And then in 1729, okay, so two um, years okay. after she's found out and whatnot, following the poisoning death of Samuel Molyneux, the secretary that had gone with him, uh, St. Andre married Samuel's widow, which did little to impress his peers, and Samuel's cousin ended up accusing him of committing the poisoning. Okay, so he he supposedly poisoned homeboy to get with his wife. Yes. Okay. Uh, he attempted to sue the cousin for defamation, but the rumor was out, effectively, and St. Andre and his uh, wife's careers were permanently damaged. They were publicly humiliated at court and lost their places there and were then forced to retire to the countryside away from society. I mean, he's trying to sue him for defamation. Dude, your your reputation's fucking shot. Oh, yeah. There's, there's nothing to defame. Yeah. Like. <laughs> That's everything. Holy shit, what a roller coaster. <laughs> okay, so, in all that, Why? for attention that's what, okay so she had a miscarriage did you're also which, you're which also is talking terrible. about a woman who literally had three kids between the time she was 17 and 24 i know so i know in that time she probably hasn't had to work very much and all of a sudden even though she's pregnant again she has to go work out in the field so she's trying to think of any excuse not to have to go out there and so work. that's why i thought too but do you think it was more of a on top of that she was just completely fucked up mentally about she, having a miscarriage. That's entirely possible too. That's it. That is 100% a huge contributing factor. I just, I want to know what you she sought you, to You gain. are not mentally stable if you have a miscarriage and then think that it's okay to shove rabbit pieces up into your fucking verdurge. <laughs> so hats off, hats off to the dude who called the bullshit early. The, oh yeah, the, the guy's last name started with an A. Yeah, oh, Allers. Allers, the one that was Who went, like, it was like, I believe you. Yeah, like, I don't believe them at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like the scene from a movie where it's like, he's like with the group, he's like, yeah, this is a good idea, and then it cuts to the next scene with him with this another is a terrible group. Like, oh, idea. This is fucking horrible. <laughs> that's literally what happened. Like, hats yeah. off to him because homeboy did not fuck around. What? So. I still, I'm baffled by the, like, okay, the story, like. I'm baffled so, by, like, why, I kind of get why it. Why an eel? I'm still stuck on the eel. I think it was more so that the cat probably ate a fish or something. Dude, I am being 100% serious right now. Also, this how is, fucked up is it that they probably killed the cat that she fucking slept oh, yeah. with at night and just shoved it up her. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, like, what I'm getting at is. I said it earlier, the 1700s, 
they're lucky they didn't burn she's lucky they didn't burn her at a stake or some shit for being a witch or yeah. i mean to be fair i think the 1600s were more about the witchcrafty stuff i'm be- i'm being in general but yeah like, but yeah still or she didn't get fucking killed for being like the antichrist or you know mm-hmm. like cause that's some anytime you think of like the devil's like person will give birth to a goat or some shit yeah she was close <laughs> so i thought that i had included it in here i must not have though because obviously i didn't read it uh like a lot of the article there there were a lot of articles written at the time that like she confessed and it was all in the news and everything um a lot of which said that people had very strongly differing opinions on the matter so a lot of people believed that she uh that it was real and or or that that if it was real it was essentially this profound curiosity that should be like that she should be taken to uh to be studied to be studied basically i know and i that's i understand it just blows my mind that she wasn't fucking straight up killed Mm mm-hmm and then some people uh, obviously believed it, didn't believe it at all, and knew that it, like it was a hoax. And then some people were like, "If this is real, it's essentially like she's being punished for some sin, or she like yeah. that that obviously she has done something to affront God, and that's why yeah. like what's happening to her is going against human nature." I'm actually like looking i mean fuck they kept it up for a lot longer than i think most people would have what's what's surprising to me though is that like i i get maybe fooling one or two people like uh john howard he he was well known in the area but he wasn't like well most of the time think about it this way like but he was essentially the parts were actually coming out yeah right so they could fool people But, like, I guarantee the dude, you know, it's the one dude, they're like, no, you can't help us anymore, is the one that was like, there's some bullshit going on. Oh, yeah. He caught on. And they knew he caught on. Yeah. And then they're like, nope, you're not allowed in here anymore. Yeah. God, that whole story. What the fuck? <laughs> what amazes me is... I to go to sleep after this and have dreams about fucked up rabbit cat things and it's funny because like a lot of that stuff you're like that there's no way that would happen in real life but that's a true story that legitimately yeah you're uh you're urban five urban legends can can actually had three true stories yeah and well technically four true stories one ghost story Mm -hmm. and that first one was like true story ghost story with the dog boy oh yeah yeah huh interesting mm-hmm. but yeah you took it to a whole nother level tonight <laughs> i enjoyed it I, I, if... I really enjoy finding like the little stories like that 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 i can just fit that's into cool one See, episode. I'm, I'm i'm a i'm a definite like long storyteller i like telling like long stories yeah i mean there have been a few where i've uh, like i i feel like i'll go to start doing them as the urban legends and i'm like there's so much more to this story like it um i think the the second episode i did like this uh, i did june and jennifer gibbons the twins yeah. that formed their own language and everything that one i could do a deep dive into like yeah. there there is so much i left out of that story yeah and it's but, hard too when you're trying to do a 
you know, maybe if you come across one that you could do a deep dive, push mm-hmm. it to an episode. Shit, that means I gotta figure out what I'm doing next week now. <laughs> yeah. Meh. All right. Well, <laughs> we gonna wrap this bitch up. Yeah, we're done. Uh, so if you enjoyed it, you know the drill. Follow us on any of our social media. You can find all the links at dyingtoknow.simplecast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like it, you can rate us on iTunes. Another thing I learned is you can because we are listed as a podcast on Facebook, you can actually rate us on Facebook. Oh, yeah. So, so if you can do that, uh, the more times we get rated, the higher we show up in searches. Spread the word. Tell yeah, your I friends. Think, I think we only have one rating on Facebook, Facebook. right now. Yeah. <laughs> And it's uh, one of our friends. It's one of our friends. <laughs> um, so if you could do all that, we'd appreciate it. Or, you know, regardless of if we have one person listening or two people listening, we don't care. We have fun doing this. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And uh, I'm sorry for the problem. Nightmares, weird. My nightmare inducing Images you probably you... have floating in your head now. <laughs> I need like eye bleach or some shit. Ear bleach. Ear bleach. Mind bleach? Yeah, no shit. All right, well, we'll wrap this up and have a good night. Or day, week, week. Let's do week. Have a good (laughs) week. Okay, love you. Bye.